Good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, welcome if you're joining us online. It really is a great privilege that we have that we can join and worship the God who made us, the God who controls us. And we're going to do that um, by singing our first first song. All praise to him, the God of light, who formed the mountains by his might. All praise to him who names the stars, that sings his fame in skies afar. So let's stand and sing when the music starts. Well, normally when we're in a service, we say, please make sure you've got your mobile phone switched off or on silent. Well, you might want to have your mobile phone ready to take a photograph in just a few minutes, or a few seconds, in fact. Um, The reason is that, um, well, I suppose one of the great privileges we have as a church is doing um, camp, And years ago, we also followed on with a holiday um, at Easter time for people going on from camp. And some of you who are towards the younger end of middle age will remember going on Easter camp with Vicky. Or perhaps on summer camp with her. Um, And one of the things we pray for as we uh, do camp and as we do Easter camp, is that not only people will become Christians, but they will live lives that are really going for it with God. And we can do that whatever we're doing, whether we're a student, a teacher, a homemaker, or in our workplace. But I'm really pleased that Vicky and her husband have decided that they want to take the good news of Jesus to people who don't know it. In January, they'll be moving to a Muslim country in North Africa. It's quite sensitive, so I can't tell you where. And they don't want slides up going going around because they won't really be welcome. But they've asked us to pray for them. So please, do take a photograph, email them, and ask for updates from them. 
they really would value our prayers. Um, if you haven't got a camera with you, you don't want to take a photograph, ask me and I will send you the email address as well. But please do pray for them. And I guess be challenged with them. It's so easy for us to grow up and live boring lives that are no different from anyone else. And here are two young people who are making a choice to do what God wants in their lives. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we do thank you that we've been singing about the God who made heaven and earth, the great and mighty God. And we ask that you will help us to get a grasp of just how good, how great, how mighty you are. And we pray that as we hear your word today, that will make an impact on us so that we will want to be living to please the great, good and mighty God. Our Father, we thank you that you are so patient with us. We thank you that you forgive those who come back to you. And Lord, we thank you that there is no end to your forgiveness for your children. So we ask that our hearts will be full of gladness at your kindness to us. Amen. Well, um, we are now going to hear from God's word. Ray's going to come and read for for us, and it's in Ephesians chapter 4. So, thank you, Ray. The reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17 and reading down to verse 32, uh, which is on page 978 of the Chapel Bible. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Thank you, Ray. Well, after the uh, next song, um, um, James is going to come and uh, give the children's talk. But before that, uh, we sing of the greatest love. We think about what someone has done for us. And that really does put us in our place, doesn't it? So let's stand and sing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.
Hello, good morning. Right, now, before I begin, I'm going to ask you a very quick question. I know some of you this week have had assemblies and worships. This week's had a little thing to it at your school. Can anyone tell me what that was? It was. It was anti-bullying and kindness week. So this week was all devoted to being kind to one another and to not bully anyone, okay? So that's all about kindness. So I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you now. Can I have the first slide, please? This. Who's this? What does this person do, do you think? What is this person? He... Exactly. Well done. He is a doctor, and his job is to help us when we're poorly, okay? So when we're unwell or we don't feel good or something happens, his job is to make us feel better. But no matter who comes through the door, that man's job or a doctor's job is to treat everyone the same, okay? It doesn't matter who they are, his job is to help everybody, okay? So we have the second slide. This one's a bit harder. Oh, what do you reckon this person is? Who do you reckon? What do you reckon? What do you reckon? He's a judge, okay? This person's job is no matter who he has to deal with, he has to treat everybody fair, okay? Everybody the same. And he has to treat them with kindness. No matter what they've done, his job is to treat everyone fair and with kindness, no matter what. Third slide. Oh, now, what do you reckon this one is? This is the hardest of them all, I think. Yes. It's a homeless person, okay? A homeless person. Mm, Why have I brought a homeless... I nearly said Mr. Russell then. Why have I brought a homeless person into this talk? Well, I'm going to tell you a really quick true story now. Okay, and we're going to go back to this. A really big university in America did an experiment a couple of years ago. And they were in a high street, just like Crowborough or Tunbridge Wells. And they set up hidden cameras and they had an actor. Okay, and this actor would walk down the high street and then, oh, pretend to trip over. Okay, and they were filming it. So this actor falls over, and do you know what everyone who was walking down the high street did? Have a guess? Anyone got a guess? They did. They just did this. And carried on. So they reset the cameras after lunch. They got the actor again. They waited till it was all full of new, different people. And out went the actor. And again, everyone did this. And one person, a really important-looking businessman with his nice briefcase and big posh suit, he went like this. He stepped over them, right over them. So then they reset the camera again. And then went Mr. Actor. Oh. And on the third time, on the video, they caught a homeless person just like this who walked over, picked the person up, helped them to a bench, sat them down, Make sure they were all right. I thought, wow, what an amazing act of kindness. We often walk past people like this, don't we, and just have a look and, you know, pay them no heed. But this homeless person who has nothing in the world helped this person up and looked after them. This got me thinking. Okay, I was thinking, wow, you know, my tiny little brain, the cog started whirring fling, do you know what I mean? Right? And I thought, this, this makes me think of, of the Bible. Now, we should all show kindness. We shouldn't have to have a week at school where we show kindness. And I was sitting there thinking, this reminds me of a verse in the Bible. Can we have the verse? And it, the verse is this. Who would like to read that out for me? Go, Annie. Nice big voice. I want everyone at the back to hear. And the prophets, yeah. This is one of the, this is the golden rule of the Bible. You see, we should treat everybody how we would like to be treated. Okay? We should show kindness and love and respect to everybody because we expect that back. We would love that back, wouldn't we? We would all like to be treated like that. Now, if we cast our mind back into the Bible, when Jesus was here, okay, it didn't matter who you were and it didn't matter What you did, Jesus treated everybody with love and kindness. Jesus even went and had dinner with quite possibly the most hated people of the time, the tax collector. Nobody liked the tax collector. They were greedy, they were mean. If you only had one little silver coin to your whole name and that had to buy you food for the year, Mr. Tax Collector would come along and take it. And that'd be it. You could starve for all he cared. 
But Jesus went and sat down with this man. He had dinner with him. He showed this man love and kindness when everybody else would be like, oh, tax collector's coming, hide. Okay? He sat and had dinner with him. And the tax collector changed his ways. Jesus showed everybody love and kindness. He healed people who were sick, just like our doctor friend. Okay? He treated everybody fairly, just like our judge friend. Okay? And no matter who, he loved them and he was kind to them. So I think we can all take a massive, massive chunk of this and put it in our hearts and do it today ourselves. We should all listen to this really big verse here. This is the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We need to treat everybody with kindness and with love. And then hopefully they will treat us the same. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Okay, so what I want you to do is take that anti-bullying kindness week that we've taught you this week, and I want you to take it with this verse, and I want you to squeeze it together, and I want you to put it in your hearts. And if you can only take one thing away from this, I would love it if all of you could try and be a bit more like Jesus. Live your life more like Jesus, and show kindness and love to everybody. Can we do that? Thank you very much for listening. Off you go. Thanks, James. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we ask that you'll help us to pray now. And as James has been teaching the children to love, to treat people like they want to be treated, oh, Lord, we we know that we need your help to do that because naturally we're selfish. Naturally, we don't look at the needs of others. So, Lord, we pray that you'll help them and we ask that you'll help us. And, Father, as we pray to you, we, we pray that your good rule, your kingdom, will come. And, Lord, we pray that, first of all, for ourselves. We pray that when you say something to us, oh, Lord, we ask that we will be doers, those who do what you want, because we want to have your smile. We want to please you because we love you. Oh, Lord, we thank you that there is that good news that anyone can come to Jesus, that anyone can know heaven forever, that anyone can be forgiven, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. And Lord, we, we thank you that uh, Jonathan and Vicky are taking that good news to people who won't have heard it, to people living in a land ruled by fear and lies. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll help them. We pray that you'll use them. We pray that the good news they bring will be seed that goes into good ground. But we know we don't have to travel all around the world to bring good news to people. Oh Lord, we pray that if we know you, that you will help us to be those who spread your good news in our schools, in our workplace, in our homes, with the people we meet. Oh Lord, we pray that you will help us to value you. You will give us that, that, that joy and that sense of wonder that the God of heaven cares about individual people and calls them to him. Oh Lord, we thank you that the good news has been already talked about this morning in Rooted and Sunday School. We pray that that will go home into lives. We thank you that it's planned to be shared on Monday at Connect. And we ask that you'll be with Nigel. We pray that his words will be powerful and effective. That many people will come and that they will be hungry to know you. And as a good number of folk have just finished exploring Christianity, Lord, we pray that that will have stirred up a hunger in their hearts to know you. And that it won't just be seed that goes away, 
but it will be growing and producing a real closeness, a, a, a desire to know you, a joy in knowing you. Oh, Father, we know that your word tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. Oh Lord, you you know how hard we find that when things are difficult. And we pray that you will comfort those who are in pain, those who are recovering. Oh Lord, do give them patience. Do remind them that you love them and that you're in control. We pray too for those who are troubled, depressed, struggling with mental illness. Lord, you know how awful that can be because you made us and you understand us. And even if no one else understands, Lord, we thank you that you do. And Lord, we we pray for all of us that you will give us that confidence that you are good that you know and that you're in control. And we pray that you will comfort those who grieve. Oh Lord, we thank you you came. We thank you you know what it is to grieve. We thank you that you tell us to cast our cares on you because you care for us. And whatever we're facing, whatever it is, whether it's work, it's family issues, oh Father, we pray that you'll help us to cast our burdens on you, to leave them with you, confident that you are able. And Lord, you know that some are facing problems that seem to have gone on forever. Oh Lord, if they're your children, help them to appreciate that this this trouble whatever it is, however long it is, is only for a little while compared to the time that they are going to be enjoying being with you in glory. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll help us to live looking forward to that time. Help us to live looking forward so that when we meet you, there will be things that you are able to say, well done, good and faithful servant of mine. Because you did this for me. Oh Lord, we ask that that will be the way that that we live our lives. We pray that as John teaches us from your word, and as there are things that we are to kill off, oh Lord, we pray that we will not be those who hear but don't do. Those who hear and excuse. Oh Lord, as we are challenged. Oh Lord, we are glad that you tell us that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us. Oh Lord, help us not to pretend that it doesn't matter. Help us to bring it to you and know the smile of your face, knowing once again that we're accepted by you so that we may rejoice in our great God. So, Lord, do be with us. Help John, we pray. Help us, we ask. And, Lord, we pray that the joy of knowing Jesus will be something that shines out through our lives as we serve you and love others. Amen. So, John is going to be teaching us from two Colossians, and we're going to read that now. We're going to be reading from chapter 3, and we're going to be starting our reading in verse 5. So, coming into these verses, Paul has reminded these Christians that they're in Jesus. They belong to him. And then we come with this, because we belong to Jesus... This is how we're to live. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of God, Christ, rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, you'll be pleased that John isn't going to try and cover that whole passage. And I'm sorry, it was my mistake. I read rather more than was on the slides. So we're going to be focusing on that first bit, the putting off rather than putting on. But before that, we're going to be singing our next song, which is, Forgive our sins as we forgive. You taught us, Lord, to pray, but you alone can grant us grace to live the words we say. So if you've got the Church Bibles, we're on page 984, Colossians 3, or if you're using an app, you can follow it in that. And while you're looking that up, I should just say that there is uh, there are envelopes by the door, um, hopefully for every family and individual here. Uh, so do take that on your way out, and it is something to be opened in November. So look out for your envelope on the way out. Well, uh, this morning... Uh, The Bible tells us what to wear. Uh, Don't worry, I'm not going to comment on your colour coordination or where you got your jumper from or the label in your shoes. But in terms of our attitudes and our way of life, uh, we've been thinking about going forward as a Christian. 
So somebody has realised they can't save themselves and they've trusted in Jesus and what he did on the cross for forgiveness. Jesus is their saviour. And they realise they need to turn to him from their sin, from their old pattern of life, and they need to follow Jesus. Jesus is their Lord. They've become Christians. And maybe you haven't done that. That's a great change that is needed in your life, faith and repentance. But maybe that has happened. And you're thinking, how do we go onwards from here? Well, last time we're in the first few verses of Colossians chapter 3 and we saw the big picture, if you like, of the new life. It was two weeks ago, so maybe it's a bit rusty in your mind, the other side of Remembrance Sunday. And we were thinking about uh, being linked up to Jesus, united to him, and that what has happened to him affects us. And we thought about looking up to Jesus, having our eyes set on him and living with him in our mind. And then we think about how does that work out in the 24-7 of our lives? How does it affect the practical aspects of your daily life, of my daily life? Well, the picture of what we wear will help us to think through that as we carry on in the coming passage. So imagine, in the afternoon you were up to something very messy. Uh, Maybe you had a, a, a forest walk or game after a week of rain like this. Or um, maybe uh, you had a gardening session, it was very muddy, or perhaps you've been doing some decorating. And in the evening, you have a, a special family meal. You're going out to a rather nice restaurant, there's going to be sort of family snaps of the occasion. What happens between the two? Well, there's some clothes that are taken off, and there are other clothes that are put on. Off comes the the wellies and uh, the muddy gloves and the wet jeans and smelly socks. And on goes the shirt, uh, the new top, the clean shoes. And in the same way, our attitudes and there are attitudes and behaviours that the Bible said are to be taken off and uh, other things to be put on. And the theme runs through the verses we're going to be looking at. So if you have a look, you'll see some of this language. Verse 8, you must put them all away. Verse 9, put on. Verse 10, put on. So verse 9, put off. Verse 10, put on. Verse 12, put on. Verse 14, And above all these things, put on love. And this week we're looking at verses 5 to 11. So that's really the dirty old clothes that need to come off. And next week we'll be looking at the new outfit that we should be wearing. So it's the, if you like, the negatives this week and the positive next week. And these are some of the things that some of you in your home groups have already been starting to think through. Now, there are quite a a lot of things here that we're told to take off. And I found it quite helpful in looking through them to group them into three groups. Um, Intertwined with them are some reinforcements as to why we should take those things off. And we'll look at some of those at the end. So, let me read through verses 5 to 9 again. Uh, These are the, the things that should be ditched, Um, perhaps you might want to see how you would have grouped them. Verse 5 to 9. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put away We must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. 
Well, the first set of things that we should put off, the first old clothes that we should take off of our lives are uncontrolled lusts, especially sexual lusts. That's what it's mainly about in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. Well, just to set the scene, I think it would be helpful to say two things. Um, The first is to say that sex is not bad in itself. Sex is not bad in itself. I remember being a a little shocked when I went to a a Christian conference at Leicester when I was a young person, and there was an American preacher, and he was speaking about male and female roles and relationships. And he was making this point. And he said, when Adam and Eve were rolling around in romantic ecstasy in the Garden of Eden, God looked down and said, that's good, that's good. It was part of original perfect creation. Sex is not bad. Sex is a a gift of God in the right place. Hebrews 13 and verse 4 says, let marriage be held in honour among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. It's not dirty. It's not wrong. Sometimes it can be seen that Christians just look down on sex. And that can present its problems uh, later on when people get married if they've only got a negative view of sexual relationships. So, sex is not bad in itself. Secondly, just to say to set the scene, sex is not ultimate. Sex is not ultimate. That is, knowing God is the ultimate thing. People go through life with no sexual satisfaction or varying degrees of sexual satisfaction. But the main thing to know is God and his love and to have a relationship with him. Jesus, as a single man, did not have sexual relationships and yet he was the perfect man. So sex is not bad in itself, but sex is not the ultimate. So it is good. So it is good. However, as with so many things, perhaps all things in humanity and in our hearts, it can get warped and broken. Sexual desires can become misplaced and distorted and misused. They can be expressed in a way which is not in keeping with God's good design and it causes damage. And we're told to get rid of that. We're told to get rid of that misuse. Different words come up in our list in verse 5. The first that heads the list is sexual immorality. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality. That is, any sex outside of the marriage commitment. It's a wide-ranging word in the Greek. And it includes sex before marriage, sex with someone you're not married to, an affair, sexual relations between men, sexual relations between women, and other things, other distortions of sexual lust are included. And these are are not part of God's great and good plan. As we know, so many have come to realise the damage that they cause. So the affair, in films, in the press, on the soap operas maybe, is often seen as exciting and glamorous and fulfilling and smart and natural when we know it devastates, it breaks, it harms, it messes up lives big time. Sexual immorality may have been the way of life up until now. But as a new person in Jesus, 
that, if you like, that dirty old jumper needs to come off and to be ditched and chucked away. But it's not just the outward actions that uh, the Bible comes on to here in thinking of uncontrolled lust, sexual relations. The following words that carry on from this are about the desires that go with it. These relate to sexual desires as it carries on. Impurity, passion, evil desire. So the the desire for wrong sexual enjoyment is not to be fed and it's not to be stirred and it's not to be encouraged. So a Christian man should not be content feasting his eyes on stirring sexual images. That was the old way of life. A Christian married woman should not rest content fantasizing about more time, more involvement, more, impos- more intimacy with somebody who is not her husband. It's the old way of life. It carries on. It's probably not all to do with... Um, sexual desires here. The last word in this list is covetousness or greediness. Of course, it it could be related to um, sexual relationships. After all, in um, the Ten Commandments, you're not to covet your neighbour's wife. But we generally think of covetousness more towards material things. But it's still a desire which is uncontrolled. And here it's compared starkly to idolatry. So where we must have more, and we want, and we're unsettled, and we're restless, and we're moody, and we're frustrated, and maybe we're fighting because we want to have more, and we look on the internet for more, and we go around the shops for more, and we're envious of other people because of what they've got, and it's an uncontrolled passion and desire which has replaced God with something else. And for all of this, it's introduced with a strong word. Put to death, verse 5. Put to death. Mortify was the older word. Get rid of these desires. Kill them. Drown them. Don't satisfy them. I don't know if you've ever, perhaps on the, on the coast where we've gone to the sea, seaside area and there's been different sort of games and machines and whether you've ever done, I think it's called whack-a-mole. And uh, in the game, the moles come up different holes in front of you and you've got a sort of rubber mallet and the idea is to smash them on the head the moment you see them before they disappear again and you're bash, 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 you're, you're, you're killing the moles really the moment they appear. And that is what we need to do in our lives where 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 wrong, inappropriate desires start to surface, we're told to put them to death, whack them. We don't treat them gently. I mean, Christians are meant to be gentle about some things, but you're not gentle with your sin. You you don't welcome the mole out and give it a cup of tea and feed it bits. No, you, you whack it, put to death these things that are in you. I remember when we went to Holland and uh, uh, people there take uh, quite a lot of pleasure in their garden and and, uh, the people we were staying with, they went out in their garden, there was no weeds in their flower beds. Why are there no weeds in their flower beds, unlike some of our flower beds? Why are there no weeds? Well, every day he would go out after dinner and he'd pick up the little weeds that were starting to emerge. It was clear and that's what we should be in our lives. We, We pulled them out as these things start to show and develop. So do you need to do some putting off of this sort? Some putting to death of this sort? You're feeding wrong desires. You're fantasizing. Are you getting a bit close to the edge of what you know is right? The Bible says put to death. Don't feed them. Get rid of them. Ditch the old clothes. Sometimes these things 
can be ingrained from the past. They need serious treatment. Sometimes they need help of others to talk through, to pray through. But don't let them remain. They're not part of the new uniform. They're to be ditched. They need radical treatment. You're new. You're part of God's family. Leave the the dirty jumper behind. It doesn't suit you anymore. Ditch the old clothes, the uncontrolled lusts. The second group, hateful attitudes. Into verse 8, the first three things. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice. Like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the letter is concerned with going to the heart. And here he's getting us to think about our attitude to others. And we might have those in mind who actually we do find it a bit difficult to deal with. Those who perhaps uh, stir us up the wrong way. Those who naturally annoy us. They've got different characters. They, They do things in different ways. And maybe those who've actually hurt us intentionally or accidentally. Perhaps you can be thinking of maybe those in family life, college life, work life, neighbour life. And there are people, you know, this last week you found a little bit difficult to handle in terms of your attitude. And in the past we would have put on the old clothes in the way in which we approached them. And the old clothes here, if you like, were anger. That is a hot-headed outburst. You blow your top. You let them have it. You see red. Anger. Or wrath is the second one. Which is a bit more, it seems, a, a settled resentment and bitterness. Wanting them to be harmed Bearing a grudge beneath the surface, which does show up in different ways, but it's not quite such a big outburst. Bitterness, grudge, we had it in the last hymn, that's why the second verse was quite challenging for us. Bitterness brooding in our hearts. The old clothes. Malice. You know, that closed eye look where you know that somebody's thinking really harmful thoughts in their hearts towards you or somebody else, and looking forward to an opportunity to express that deep-seated animosity. They hate you, and they'd like to hurt you. Or maybe you hate them, would like to hurt them. You remember at school, um, and litmus paper, uh, the litmus paper tests when you were testing to see if something was acidic or not, and you put it down in the solution in the test tube and if it goes red, it's acidic and uh, if it goes blue, it's alkali and if it's neither, it stays the same or purple or something like that. Well, if you dipped litmus paper, if you like, into, into the attitudes of your relationships with others, what, what, is it red? Is it acidic? Is it, is it burning? Is it sort of fermenting? The things going on there. Is it reacting? Put them away. Those gardening gloves, which are now spiky with prickles. Don't take them to the family meal. They're, they're not part of what you are now. You're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king of grace and love. Get rid of the gloves with spikes on. Damaging words. That's the next three in verses 8 and 9. That's the way I've grouped them anyway. Slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing you have put off the old self with its practices. So here the inner attitudes, if you like, are unleashed by the tongue. And there is slander. So they're speaking ill of someone. They're sort of stabbing them 
in the back when they're not looking. It's saying unkind and untrue and unnecessary things about somebody, perhaps to make them look bad because they've hurt you and it's your way of getting even or to make yourself look better or or to get them to sort of distance themselves from somebody else. So you're stealing a friendship by what you're saying. Or there is obscene talk here. And that could be sort of filthy language, but it's probably a, really a, a sort of tirade of, of smelly, obnoxious language towards somebody and being unkind to them. It's when the sort of sewage outlet is just sort of overflowed over someone. You say things which are, are going to hurt them and you know they won't forget and they don't forget and it damages them. But you've got it out of your system because that's how you feel about them. Or it says lie, do not lie to one another. Things that are not true are known to be not true. That undermine friendship and trust. That turn people against someone else. But it's very handy to actually put that in because you're rather annoyed with the person and although it's untrue, you should be quite pleased that people are turning against them and thinking ill of them. And that was the old pattern, Paul says. But now, I don't know if you've ever sometimes actually had a phone call from someone when they they didn't realise. I've had it sometimes. I don't know quite how the mechanics work, but I think perhaps they accidentally press a button, last number recall or something, and I answered the phone and I've just heard somebody sort of treading along the beach and I call out to them to try and get them to realise that they phone me, but they don't and... Yeah, so, so it goes on, you sort of tuning into their life without them realising it for, you know, for, for, for as long as you're on the call. I imagine that happened this week. What, what part of this last week would you especially not wanted those 15 minute overhearing to go on? Was it the way we were to our loved ones? friends, or when we're having a good laugh with our mates, just to be clear, it's not saying stop these things to be forgiven, it's saying stop these things because you are forgiven. Some of these things need to come off. You know, if you like, these sort of steel-capped boots which can kick into people's shins. And they're part of the old you, not the new you. Damaging words. Might pray like the psalmist did, the songwriter, Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, Keep watch over the door of my lips. Well, just to round these things off, to pick up some of the intertwinings, it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. He's reminding them of the change that has happened and using that to encourage this good way forward. He's really saying, leave the old you. That was the past. Verse 7, in these things you once walked when you were living in them. That's, that's the past. And God has changed you and forgiven you and worked in you and things are different. Live according to the new person. Before you did what God dislikes. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So the way you lived before, and those practices that we've just looked at, are things that God dislikes. God strongly, seriously dislikes. They're the things that bring judgment on us when we haven't found forgiveness. Do you want to, do you want to still fill your life with things that displease God? Now you're a Christian? Are you content with that? Leave the old you, the way it was against God, the way it was out of kilter what God wants. And just, just leave it behind. 
ditch the old clothes, take them to the dump. And instead, live the new you. The new you, verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So instead of what God dislikes, we're concerned with what God does like. And God is working a restoration project in our lives and he's restoring the image of himself in our lives by our attitudes, by our behaviours. And we feel enthusiastic for the new us, if you like, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The new you is the Christian you, is the Christ in you. Go with that and leave the other behind. Maybe the way you were, we were in the past, reflected um, the groups we were part of. You say, well, everyone on the estate did it. Or it's just the way our family handled things. Or it's only copying my friends. In those days, maybe that was the case in terms of some of these sins and attitudes with people from different social backgrounds. So the slaves or the workers, well, they always slander their bosses. And the bosses, well, they always bully their staff. And people from my parts, well, they're always partying wildly. But Paul says the old distinctions the old identifications, the old labels on your clothes, if you like, they're they're gone. They're history. They're not the way in which things are now. Verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But the new clothes, if you like, have got a consistent label in them. The new clothes we come on to have got a label in them. And they're not to do with our old social backgrounds. No, they're there. The brand name is, is Christ. 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 That's the new environment. That's the new relationships. That's the new us. That's the new community. That's the new way forward. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, with all their different sins and, and things that they tended to do in their groups, but instead Christ is all and in all. Sometimes people go for a complete change of fashion and outfits, don't they? I say, this is the new me. Well, you don't need to trail the internet or parade the shopping centres to do that. If God has worked in you, he's made you a Christian, he's made you a new person. So ditch the old clothes. And there are some new ones for you. New ones to put on instead. New ones which we'll look at next week as we carry on through this picture and through these verses. Let's let's have a little pause for thought, I think, at the end because, yeah, thank you for putting that back up, because these speak to our situations. The old person in us still keeps coming out. It's not fully dealt with as it should. Um, Maybe this morning is... Encourage you to get the mallet on some of the things that are popping up to pray for God's help to be increasingly rid of them. So let's have a pray before our last song.
Well, our last song reflects this wonderful change that God has made, makes in people's lives. O great God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart, own it all and reign supreme. Conquer every rebel power, let no vice or sin remain that resists your holy war. You have loved and purchased me, make me yours forevermore. praise you for that amazing grace which in love has changed the lives of so many. We thank you for what you've delivered us from, the way you've forgiven us and loved us and lead us forward. And we pray for your help because some of the old battles have not disappeared and some of the attitudes in our hearts still surface which are not good and sometimes expressed in ways which are very inconsistent with how a Christian should live. And we pray that uh, this morning's uh, challenging passage, which we have thought about together, may help us in going forward uh, to live as children of the King of grace and kindness and love and purity and justice. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.